Okay. So here we are at the Mahaparinibbana Stupa. In the, ba in the background there you see. This is the place where the Buddha passed into Parinibbana or Anupadisesa Nibbana. He passed away. He died, people might say. So, we talk a little bit about death. I think again, like the Buddha's birth, the Buddha's death might seem like less of a consequence. Or rather than less of a consequence, less of a reason to celebrate than, say, his enlightenment. Indeed, when the Buddha passed away, there was a lot of sadness. And some of the monks who hadn't yet uh, gained insight into impermanence were quite sad, crying and moaning and suffering because of the loss of the Buddha. When you come here you feel, I think you feel a certain, I feel a certain sense of peace. It makes me think and made me realize when I first came here that it, there is something very significant about the Buddha's Parinibbana that we don't often catch. And for me coming here for the first time was was uh, a real opener, eye-opener or mind-opener to how important the Buddha's passing really was in a good way, in a positive way. In many ways you could say this is where peace exists. This is where you find the greatest peace on earth. This is where it happened. So in Buddhism there are three kinds of death and all of them are important. The first kind of death, samati marana, samati, samuti. This is the death we're familiar with. When we use the word death we're most often talking about conceptual death. We don't use the word conceptual, we don't even think of it as conceptual. When a person dies, we call that death. It's not a concept. I didn't conceive of it. They really died, right? What's conceptual about that? You know, we know in truth that it's simply an external observation. You see that the person died. Their experience of it is it's categorically different that the death that we think occurred didn't really occur or the death that occurred was only the death of the body which is only a concept as well but death of a death of a being is Im, is important regardless of what you believe about reincarnation rebirth or the continuation of the mind after death or the rearising of future minds based on the last mind in the last life. Regardless, death is significant. 
you think of all the changes that you've had to endure, all the tests we've had to pass or fail or muddle through. I think there can be things in life that are more challenging and trying than death. You, know, you can be challenged for years or even your whole life by your circumstances. But there's nothing so significant as death. There's nothing that so radically curtails or, or uh, limits everything. Ambition, growth, uh, success, pleasure, possession, relationship. Everything we strive for in the world, everything we build, every connection we make with other people, with places and things, we lose them all. We give them all up. And we know this because no matter how well you guard from other kinds of loss, the loss of life is inevitable. It's, um, it's, it's ultimate and un, unavoidable. And so it was really ultimately death, along with old age and sickness, right, that caused the bodhisattva to leave home. Death is the, the catalyst. We saw the gate yesterday where the bodhisattva left home. Why did he leave the palace where he was he had riches and pleasure and everything he could have asked for in the world, even a future where he could have been king of the world, they say. Why did he give it up? Death. So it was all subject to death. He said, once I strove myself being subject to death, I strove after things that were also subject to death. And then I thought, what if I try and find something that is beyond that, beyond death? Quite a profound thing to say. I think all of us struggle with this in our lives. As we're growing up, realization that our parents are going to die, everyone around us is going to pass away, the realization that, realization that we are going to die, it limits everything, it limits our ambitions and, uh, and so on. The Buddha pointed this out as the sort of defining factor whether you could call someone developed or, or non-developed. He said for some people, and he himself was in that category, all they have to do is hear about death, learn about death. Doesn't have to be someone they know, doesn't have to be a relative not even thinking about themselves when they're not even themselves in danger of death. Just the realization that it's a fact of life. And immediately they give rise to the impulsion to find a way out, to do something to prepare themselves for death. So at the very least, if you can't figure out what it is that 
frees you from death. Be ready for it. As ready for it as you can. And most of us go through lives forgetting about the fact that we're going to die or not preparing ourselves. Most of our time is not spent preparing. You might think, well, that's a pretty dreary way to go through life, but, you know, to always be preparing for death. But we're the opposite. We are uh, building up potential problems for when we die. We don't realize that when we die, we're, we face all of this. Our life flashes before our eyes and we're confronted with the state of our mind because the body breaks apart. All we've got left is our mind. Could you imagine being left alone with your own mind and that's all you've got as your refuge? I think some of us, if we knew what the nature of our mind, we think, my, my dear, How, how shocking to have to be faced with that. And so he talked about these types of people, types of people who, well, when they hear about death, they aren't moved, but when they hear about someone they know, or, or they some relative or friend or so on then they, they're stirred because they realize it comes uh, it becomes real for them some people have to have someone see someone die, a relative or a friend some people it takes until they themselves are dying and some people never are never stirred by those truly stirring things old age, sickness, death never take time to prepare and so they're not prepared they don't even have any concept of preparation and so are tossed and tossed about in the oceans of samsara from life to life so conceptual death what we call conceptual death is important but we call it conceptual death because there's another more profound more real type of death that is giving rise to the impression that we die and that's momentary death that the, the reality of experience every experience is born and dies and given that experience is the basis of reality we're born and die every moment it's not even really a we it's an experience the sound of my voice and the hearing of the sound of my voice they arise together, they cease together. When we die, this arising and ceasing continues on. The conceptual, conceptual identities of body and of, of mind, they fall apart, they come and they go, but the experiences, the physical and mental experiences continue in various forms. And this, this of course, uh, constitutes the basis of our meditation practice. This is the objective field within which we practice. It's the fertile soil for wisdom. Wisdom grows out of this. Starting with Nama Rupa Parichetanyana, where we begin to see that we begin to see the world 
from an experiential point of view that concepts of body and mind and me and I are only a product of physical and mental experiences that in the end there's only the physical and the mental aspects of experience that arise and cease moment by moment and continues on to seeing cause and effect we see how they work together to build us up in this life to create sankharas, abhisankara and karma you know, good and bad and these habits of mind that go with us through life and lead us to rebirth after, to, to another birth after we die. We see the chaos of it, the impermanence, the suffering, the non-self. We come to see that the idea of permanence is a silly, is a foolish one. The idea that something could be born and not die, it has no basis in reality and so our striving for stability, for, for permanence is futile, is, is wrong, wrong-headed. We see suffering, we see our desire therefore to be satisfied. Suffering just means we can't be satisfied, we can't find happiness in anything. Because happiness isn't a thing you find in something else. It's a it's a state of it's a quality of mind. It comes from contentment. It comes from having everything you could ever want, which either means either you want you get what you want all the time, or you stop wanting. And we know which one of those is unattainable. So we learn to find real happiness by letting go. We see non-self and our way of looking at things, me and mine, and this is a, an entity, a sandal, shoe, no, even a shoe is conceptual in the mind. The body is conceptual, much more the, the self that we think of, it's just conceptual. Reality is moments of experience. We see that. We see arising and ceasing. We see cessation. Cessation is becomes the focus of our practice. Everything passes away. Nothing is worth clinging to because in a moment it's gone. And this is what allows us to become disenchanted and turn away from uh, samsara. This is the process of turning away. As we turn away, we, we seek out the deathless. We seek out something that is not subject to death. Simply seeing again and again the nature of all of the things that we might cling to as subject to death brings us to the point of equanimity, finally where we look upon everything as the same, nothing is greater or lesser than anything else. It's of no consequence. It can't make us happy, it can't satisfy us. It can't be the goal or the solution. It comes and it goes. 
and deeper and deeper we eventually realize this, we have this clarity yang kinci samudaya dhammang sabantang niroda dhammang what kondanya saw in the isipatana deer part everything that arises is of a nature to cease everything that is of a nature to arise is also of a nature to cease so that is a the significance of momentary death is of course the most significant reality of our meditation practice but in some ways you can say even more significant than those two is the third type of death I mean, none of it would be complete without the third type which is called samucheda marana death of literally death by cutting off but it means the cutting off of defilement the death of the death of defilement, the death of evil, the death of that which causes suffering, the death of clinging, craving, ignorance. This is the death which we seek in Buddhism and in fact it's the most uplifting of, of all teachings really. People who say Buddhism is pessimistic and someone came to the Buddha and said, do you teach nihilism? Yes. Yes, I teach. There's a way you could say that. And what is the way? I teach the annihilation of evil. So when people talk about us as being negative and all about uh, death and so on, yes, the death of evil. This is our focus. And that's what we have here at the Mahaparinirvana Stupa. That's what's so profound and important about the Parinirvana. Parinibbana. This is, the, this is the cessation of uh, defilement, the cessation of suffering. So, someone who still has defilement, when they die, of course, they're reborn and reborn again and again. The significance of what the Buddha attained in, in, in Buddha Gaya, in the, under the Bodhi tree, is that he freed himself from rebirth, he freed himself from from death he freed himself from the causes of suffering he didn't seek out heaven, he didn't seek out riches or wealth or power he sought out purity he sought out a state of mind that was free from that had destroyed, cut off, killed, brought about the death of all states that one might ever call evil. That's the goal, that's the, the path of Buddhism. That's what it's all about. Samucheda Marana. A person who sees this fact, this reality that everything that arises ceases. This person cuts off their defilements. That's the whole point and purpose of the practice and of the realization. Our clinging, our craving comes from thinking, holding on to some hope or belief or idea that we can find something to satisfy us, that something's going to make us happy. 
and the cessation that comes from meditation, this experience of letting go, and the profound observation or experience of cessation tells you that there isn't anything, there is no underlying continuous permanent thing that doesn't die that can make us happy, that can satisfy us there's purification that comes, no reason to get angry, no reason to be craving to cling no benefit that comes from these things there's a clarity of mind that comes from this the mind of, of the Buddha the mind of the enlightened one that sees things as arising and ceasing as, as they are really as we all think of ourselves we think of ourselves as living our lives here we are in this peaceful place why aren't we happy? why aren't we always happy? why aren't we always at peace? And so we think it's because we don't have what we want, because we have what we don't want. We come to realize it's not because of any of that. It's because of the wanting and the not wanting. And we cut all of those off. We cut off not not what not our our circumstances. This is making me unhappy. This is I'm lacking this, I'm lacking that. But, but our 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 perception of things, our reactions to them, how we feel about them. And we see that everything arises and ceases and we the, the, the things that inside of us that cause us to suffer die off. This is Samuchita Manana. And that's what the Buddha did. That was what he found under the Bodhi tree. And all of the 45 years after that was simply the remainder of the results of the karma that he had performed in, the past, in his past. It was like the victory lap where he spent his time teaching tirelessly and, and without any self selfish interest and then 45 years the what we have here is the fruition here we have the proof we have the ultimate victory the ultimate freedom where the Buddha showed to all of us demonstrated to all of us gave us this final teaching, if you will, this final concept or idea of the cessation of suffering. So what we have here is the final death, where the Buddha found, uh, came to an end of samsara. He said, aneka jati samsara. Without seeing the Four Noble Truths, we've traveled from life to life. The Buddha was so many, was everything. He was an animal, he was a human, he was a god, he was a... 
Brahma. He went through it all, looking, seeking for for the freedom from death, the deathless. And this is finally where he came to it in Kusinara. So this place is the ultimate ending of the Buddha's path, of the Buddha's quest, where he found victory and where he found peace. We come here and of all the places, this is the, the place most associated with peace. We think of peace, we can think of this as a peace that most of us couldn't fathom. It's so difficult for us to think about, think of, to conceive of. And so we should remember it as purity. Something we can understand is the qualities of mind that keep us causing suffering for ourselves and others, and that this is where the Buddha finally freed himself from those or uh, found the peace that comes from freeing yourself from all of those things that he had found 45 years earlier in, in Bodh Gaya. So it has great importance. His enlightenment wouldn't meet anything without this place, without, the, without what happened here. And so I think we find this place is a place of peace. There you go. That's a teaching on death. Thank you for listening.